Hi, this is Nick Beaton and Diana Zach from Chicago. You're listening to 1590 WCGO Chicago's Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in three, three two, two, one. I am the only one. Trust me. I can build a wall around your homes that nothing will penetrate. What do we do? How do we save ourselves? You ask, how do you build that wall? You ask, and I'm here to tell you. This is a very rare metal, friends. Mined by ancient Indian women in the heights of the Andes Mountains. It's in Peru, South America. Then it's taken to the secret smelters of old Montezuma, where it's refined and compounded until it becomes magnetium. The embryonic source of the universe. You're a liar, Trump. There's not going to be any rain of fire. Can you deny the meteorites will come? Can you deny the comet? Well, it's not going to happen the way you say it is. If it were not for my magnetium, friends, those meteorites would be bombarding us this very instant. It was my plan to give you the force repellers free. But now that one of you has doubted me, there will be a charge. Uh, how much, Mr. Trump? Fifty dollars apiece. Mister, he ain't one of us. We don't even know him. Please. It's a lot of money, Trump. It'll go up with every word. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. And by Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights, USA made with a five-year warranty. Jumpstart your plants with better light. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. And howdy doody, everybody. Welcome to the show. I guess I have to explain from the get-go, what that was you heard. Start explaining. Start. <laughs> Mister, you got some explaining to do. Uh, well, actually, uh, I, this is something that's making the rounds of mm-hmm. the inner tubes. It has become viral in the last, I guess, the last couple of weeks or so, uh, even though it was first discovered in 2016. What you just heard at the top of the show, the intro to the show, is from a TV show. It's called Trackdown. Uh, and uh, it, uh, some folks were wondering about it because um, it, it features a character in the show. Well, Trackdown was a, a show, I think it was on for a couple of seasons, um, 
on uh, CBS, if I'm not mistaken. And it starred Robert Culp as a Texas Ranger. And in this particular episode, which was season one, episode 30, can you imagine having 30 episodes? In one in, season. In one season? And that was probably only partway through. They were cranking them out yeah. in those days. Uh, yeah, it was CBS. It was 1958. The title was The End of the World. And the actor, one of the actors you heard there was Lawrence Dobkin, who played the role of Trump. A guy named Trump who comes to town and he's basically a snake oil salesman. Mm -hmm. He says he's going to protect the people of the town from a meteor shower uh, by building a wall around them. And all they have to do is pay him 50 bucks, as you heard. And it goes up to 75 then at, at another point. I didn't play the whole... And, I can and play it's not a real wall either. Uh, no, no. It's a it's an umbrella. It's a parasol, actually, that they go poop and put up and because there are magic markings on it. And and, the and, whole, and washers hanging off of it. Wa- right. And he has a washer. He says, this is from, from South America. And, uh, uh, and so apparently in 2016, uh, somebody found this. Uh, I think it was the Huffington Post posted it uh, in 2016. Yeah, whether well, they're yeah. the ones who found it, but they yeah, posted somebody it in tracked 16. it down, and now, right now, it's making the rounds because of the wall thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, you know, I, I play it without comment. I just throw it out there. Yeah, the the snake oil salesman comes to town and tries to build a wall and uh, and uh, gouge the people, and yeah, yeah. Uh, there there you go. Everyone's afraid to point out. That the emperor has no clothes uh, or, or something like that, or that this might not be real. So uh, there you go. That's And that's why I play that. Welcome to the show. Uh, that's the last you'll hear that on, on today's program because uh, we got to get going. We got a lot of stuff wow. happening on the show. People in the studio, people on the Skype machine. Uh, Green Diva Meg is here to talk about low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. I love uh, visiting with her, and I'm glad she's here. But right after her, something that just came together yesterday, Gary Oppenheimer, the founder and executive director of AmpleHarvest.org. Speaking of Trump, there's a shutdown as this show is being broadcast right now if you're listening to it on tape delay it might still be going on and people are suffering including people who need food and gary oppenheimer from apple harvest is going to help people get food especially folks from the south because that's where gardeners are still growing things Mm -hmm. uh some gardeners and you can we'll, we'll, we'll tell you how to do that and then terry reardon from the chicago park district on pollinators and then more it's the mike novak show with peggy malecki From boat to doorstep, you can have the best in premium and sustainable Alaskan seafood right here in the Midwest. Sitka Salmon Shares is an Alaskan community-supported fishery, or CSF, comprised of small boat family fishermen from southeast Alaska. They're supported by 4,000 CSF members, and you can be one, too. Sign up at SitkaSalmonShares.com to receive fresh Alaska salmon, whitefish, and more in shares ranging from three to nine months. Use promo code MikeNovak18 for $25 off. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. This is Mike Novak. One of the best salads I ever had was courtesy of a friend who grew it in her living room using Happy Leaf LED grow lights. 50,000-plus hour minimum lifespan, five-year warranty, USA made. What's not to like? Whether you're a beginner or a gardening whiz, these lights are the face of 21st century growing technology. Go to happyleafled.com and save 10% on purchases above $100 when you use the code MIKE. Happy Leaf LED grow lights, moving the garden to your living room. 
all love our pets, but do you ever stop to think that farmed animals deserve love and care too? The Mike Novak Show is teaming with Crate Free Illinois to present a screening of the award-winning film Eating Animals on February 12th at Dovetail Brewery in Chicago. A panel of farmers and activists moderated by Bill Turk of Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall will explain how you can make simple, humane choices in your everyday life. For tickets and information, go to the Crate Free Illinois Facebook page. If you're looking to invest in an electrical car or truck, make sure to hire a state-licensed electrical contract. The installation of that charger will require a permit in most municipalities. So make sure to check the ICC website for a certified contractor at icc.illinois.gov. You can also call DNR Services Unlimited. They've been a licensed electrical contractor since 1992. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Catch Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall every Sunday from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on 1590 WCGO. Now whip it, into shape, shape it up, get straight, go forward, move ahead, try to detect it, it's not too late to whip it, whip it good. <laughs> ah, I had to bring that in. <laughs> That's in honor of our next guest, and uh, I think you know what that means, Green Diva Meg, don't you? I do. I do. Okay. That is Green Diva Meg. She is the chief cook and bottle washer for the Green Divas. You can see her on the Skype machine if you're watching us live. I'm sorry. What was that? What? Peace out, people. Oh, there ah. you go. It just it just totally broke up when you said that. You got sorry. That's okay. That's all right. Fine. It's it's early. It was a blurp. Yeah, but blurp, blurp. and uh, I played that of course because Green Diva Meg is of course a Green Diva. I am a Green Devo, D E V O, and uh, that that was, are you not green? I are green. I are Devo. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, we've battled over the spelling of that. For years. Yeah, no, it's it's from the, the the slogan of the the band Devo, and I and I learned more about Devo last night than I have in my entire life, um, because they were they were out there during my formative years, and I have to admit, I never listened to them. I I, mean, I knew Whip It, but that was kind of it because that was their big hit, which got to like number forty on the charts, and then that was it. They were they were. Sort of the precursor to punk rock. Yeah, uh, they they kind of they were they, one they of the broke new ground. The Trailblazers. Yeah. So I saw them in Boston once. Did you really? Yeah, I don't have much memory of it, but yeah, at the Ratskeller. <laughs> anybody in Boston, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, welcome, Green Diva Meg, and uh, the reason I bring her on is because the Mike Novak Show is a proud co-conspirator. Uh, with the Green Divas, I have been working with Meg for a number of years now. I was on, when you had a twenty four seven podcast network. That was quite an experiment, wasn't it? That was exhausting. Yeah. So she's not quite doing. She's gone back to kind of traditional podcasting right now, which is you go to the website, you click on it, and you hear it when you want to. None of this twenty four seven will stream it all the time, and you pick it up. Uh, who needs that? Uh, and, on demand, baby, on demand. On demand, and that's the way the world works these days. And the GD Mike Novak show is on the Green Divas uh, website, and you go to thegreendivas.com, and you can find my show, and you can find 
50 shades what is a gd 50 what it, exactly 50, 50 shades of gds yeah uh, okay gd pub GD spirit pub spirit pub uh, GDP, which is actually GD politics. Um, again, like all of our shows, we're trying to keep things positive and informative and solutions based, but it's, it's been a tough season. I'll tell you. <laughs> well, yeah, we're, we're all, we're all feeling that way a little bit. And, and, and actually after you, we're going to be talking about a green way of helping people who need food. So I love that. I saw that and I really am excited to hear more. Yeah, uh, Gary Oppenheimer is doing some great work with Ample Harvest, and uh, you can go to ampleharvest.org if you want to take a look at that in anticipation of what we're going to be discussing in the next segment. Uh, but, you know, it's good that I that I work with you, Meg, because I'm not always the most positive guy in the world. You can give me a ding for that. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, ding. He gets two dings. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I need to hook up with positive people who are looking for so. Actually, I'm always looking for solutions, but first I have to whoop people up the side of the head with a rolled up newspaper to get their attention. And sometimes you do. Um, and th- this is what you've been doing for years. How how did you decide that you needed to go out there and broadcast and let people know that there are low stress ways of living a deeper shade of green? Well, first of all, when I started this, I had a magazine years ago, uh, and we were like the first ones in the New York market talking about any of this stuff, using the term sustainability. Nobody even knew what that was. But what was out there, and the reason I started any of this, was that what was out there was really either out there, out there, like kind of new age woo-woo, you know. Yeah. Um, Or it just didn't make sense. And it was, you know, some fanatical people that were screaming to the choir. Mm -hmm. So I had this idea like, gee, maybe there's a way to talk to people um, without either insulting them, uh, (laughs) insulting their intelligence or um, whatever, but, but bringing them information in a way that, that can be heard by a larger audience so that we weren't just a small group of environmental nuts screaming at each other, but maybe people who, you know, just didn't understand. Because it seemed to me when I had conversations with people in a rational manner with, you know, some facts or simple ways of dealing with things, they're like, wow, oh, gee, I didn't think of it that way. Hmm, duh. <laughs> so anyway, my goal was to to get out there and, and reach more people in and and that's why we kind of use a positive approach and I use humor because, mm-hmm. well, you know, humor helps. It um, does. It does. The bitter, the bitter pills go down, you yeah. know. But it, but it's it's amazing how if you look at it, it this this is a, a sign of how prophetic you were. The world has come our, our way. Or, yeah, uh, has come our way, really. And now people do a lot of the things that – 20 years ago were considered as you say fringy fringy yeah and uh and now they're they're crunchy quite, quite mainstream yes <laughs> they're right main, they're mainstream crunchy now so uh what are what are some of the issues that uh you've addressed lately uh on uh, the green divas well okay so you know, we have this family of podcasts that all kind of relate to this green living thing so we have 50 shades of gds Mm -hmm. that's sort of our signature show and 
You know, there we've, you know, and I made a list of recent shows. And one of the recent shows, which is really relevant, is weather versus climate. Because, and we did this right after Thanksgiving, there was some freak storm here on the east coast which yeah. is now not so freaky and our no uh, the, with you guys that happens every year now and sometimes yeah. a couple of times a year yeah so anyway number 45 he who shall not be named um and there goes the dog who's <laughs> obviously upset the, about the conversation um had said i thought, I thought you were going to keep i thought you were going to keep the dog away from the oh. house Muzzled, I know. Uh, anyway, he had said something about, well, it's snowing out on Thanksgiving, so how can we have climate warming? You know, the typical sort of we get it climate denier thing to say. So we it kind of spurred us to talk to a couple of people, one being Paul Douglas, who's out in your area of the country. You think he's in Minneapolis. Do you mm-hmm. know, have you ever heard of him? Uh, no. What does he do? Is he a meteorologist? He's a meteorologist. Okay. He's a weatherman. He's an entrepreneur, but he's a fascinating guy. And he's obviously a climate, uh, supporter, you know, in mm-hmm. climate change and believes in climate science and supports climate science. But he's also like a evangelical Christian conservative. Ah. And he's so much fun to talk to because he has a way of talking about these things that does reach across you know, some of these lines that have been drawn uh, anyway. But he also has a great way of articulating the difference between weather and climate. Um, and I don't know if I need to explain that here you know, if you, I can. You, but, don't, you, don't, you don't really need to go into that because... Well, it's just I, ridiculously simple. He said, like, basically, you know, weather is what's happening today. Mm-hmm. Climate is what's happening over a period of time. Bingo. I, that was pretty good, right? Yeah. Well, he it, had some more colorful analogies, but that's the simple one I <laughs> yeah. recall. Uh, but that that's interesting because there's a woman. Oh gosh, and I'm not going to remember her name. The one that uh, our meteorologist Rick DeMaio is always talking about, and she does a series of podcasts as well. And she's also from a religious background, and she understands the science of climate change. And it's weird that we get tied in knots by saying. I believe in climate change. Well, it's it, as if we want it to happen. No, it's just it's science. The science shows us that it is happening. There is climate change. And the science also shows us that the people who are responsible for it are, well, people, uh, not anything else. And not uh, these not not volcanic cycles, uh, right. if you will. So it's 40 billion tons of carbon dioxide that we pump into the atmosphere every year, basically. Mm. End of story. Mm, it's just painful to even think about. Really, <laughs> it really is. So I'm 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 glad you're doing that. What, um, in addition to uh, climate change, obviously uh, a huge issue. I I know you talk food issues. You also talk uh, fashion issues. Yeah. In a well, w- yeah. And and one of the things, um, one of our recent shows was about why. What is slow fashion? Why should we consider mm-hmm. it? Because fashion industry, as it turns out, is like the it's horrible. Yeah, I think it's the second largest corporate polluter, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have the exact notes in front of me, but yeah. it's uh, it is sort of the poster child for bad, you know, uh, manufacturing behavior and causing tremendous amounts of not only problems in manufacturing clothes, 
when most of them are made in China, of course, there's just that giant footprint of getting them here. But there's also um, the issue of what happens afterwards. And when we make crappy clothes that are made of synthetic materials and they, you know, you wear them five times and they go into a landfill, they don't biodegrade yeah. because they're made of plastic, basically. And every time you wash them, the plastic comes out in the laundry. Oh, and then there's that. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, then you got the micro plastic bits all over the It's It's... So there are lots of reasons to consider um, buying clothes that are better made, mm-hmm. um, clothes that are made from natural materials in renewable sources, um, and then ways to upcycle clothes yeah. and not necessarily just toss it away. Well, I'm, gl- I'm glad you went down that road because I was going to if you didn't, which is mm-hmm. because uh, I can't tell you how many times I go out to my alley and I'm taking out uh, my recycling or something else or the, or what little garbage I have left in the house after the recycling goes out. And I see bins stuffed with clothing as if people have no other way. They can't just can't figure out what to do with this stuff. Uh, like, lordy, lordy. There are so many receptacles around, I'm sure, Chicago and around here for donations mm-hmm. for people who need clothing. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, on, uh, uh, Christmas Eve, I went out uh, uh, to uh, some of the underpasses in Chicago and handed oh, out. Oh, yeah, I saw some of that. And uh, the, if those people alone could probably benefit from some of the clothing yeah. you're throwing away. And a lot of the clothing that gets thrown away gets reused for insulation and building materials and a lot of other things that people or, or don't you, even know about. Right, or you could do it yourself. You can get creative yourself and reuse mm-hmm. some of that stuff. So. That's that's that is a good thing. But uh, uh, cosmetics is also on your list, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> well, actually, one of our ver- most popular um, podcasts ever was one we did a couple of years ago about the uh, cosmetic industry and the, the lies, basically, mm-hmm. because there mm-hmm. are no laws regulating right. what they put on their um bottles for ingredients you can pretty much say it's organic and it can be completely you know synthetic um well we found by the way we found that out that's also true in a lot of the food industry as well i mean you could usda organic is one thing but as peggy and i have discovered try buying eggs okay just try buying eggs and do it responsibly and then look at the different things that are on all the different cartons and uh, if you research it, you realize none of them match up, and there's no grand scheme for uh, allowing you to buy eggs responsibly. You have to kind of wade through it yourself and figure it out. But, well, I'm lucky I have an egg lady that um, yeah. I in yeah. my neighborhood that I go to. If you to. get them from a CSA or a farm that you know, right? but for right. most people who can't do that. Right. But back to cosmetics. <laughs> but back to cosmetics. <laughs> yeah, back to who knows what you're putting on. Well, so again, there's the manufacturing process mm-hmm. to be looked at, some of which is, you know, unnecessary waste. There's the packaging. Um, there's that. There's shipping. And then, of course, there's just the 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 health of having ingredients mm-hmm. that are dangerous, whether it's perfumes and scents. Oh, my God, we did a whole show. Yeah. There was a guy that did a, a documentary called Stink. And it all came about because he he got some pajamas for his small children, and he opened the package and smelled them. He's like, "What is that?" 
And he started to research what that smell was and realized that, you know, essentially there, there are millions of different, some of them are toxic smells, but some of them they pretend are pretty smells yeah. and mm-hmm. they're dangerous. The, you know, and the whole idea of perfume, uh, perfume, folks, is not benign. I'm sorry. And, and the people who you run into every day who seem to bathe in it, uh, I know people who have asthmatic reactions. And I oh, can t- I and I can tell you right now, if you're a flight attendant, you should not be wearing perfume or cologne of any kind. If you're in a hospital, you should not be wearing perfume or cologne of any kind. And yet people do. And I don't know why it isn't legislated out of existence, basically. I have literally gotten migraine headaches from people who had either cologne or perfume on. I just made some. In fact, someone sent me a bunch of essential oil perfumes and we were all excited in the studio and we opened them up and I and I immediately got a headache. So even the natural stuff. Yeah. Can well, it's so concentrated, yeah. You got it, it's folks, here's a tip. Use it sparingly. Okay, yeah. please. Just a dab behind the ears. So, okay, there you go. You so know, we have a question. Uh, we don't have time for okay. a question unless it's uh, uh, we got like a minute here. So okay, it can just you... has, or maybe it's something you'll just laugh at um, from Maxine about goats in pajamas and spider goats having anything oh in common. Oh my god! Yeah, that's Max, our my co-host with <laughs> ah. Fifty Shades of Green Divas. Love her, and she has been doing these silly science facts for most of our almost every episode, and she comes up with these crazy, uh, interesting, sometimes terrifying. Science facts, <laughs> and that and goats and what? Spider goats. Some they, they somehow crossed spiders and uh, goats. Okay, whatever. We don't have time. All right, thegreendivas.com. Meg, thank you so much. <laughs> I want folks to go listen to some podcasts. We'll talk thank to you, you later. Thanks, Mike. Bye, Peggy. When it comes to caring for your trees, you want the best science and the best arborists. You get exactly that with Bartlett Tree Experts. For three generations, training and education have been central to the work of this family-owned company. And Bartlett is the leader in safety. Whether it's your home or your business, Bartlett Tree Experts uses the most effective and environmentally sensitive methods. Call for a free estimate. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. You can enjoy fresh local food all winter long at Indoor Farmers Markets, hosted by different Chicagoland houses of worship on select Saturdays and Sundays from now through April 6th. Your purchase of sustainably produced food helps support regional farm families. The markets are organized by Faith in Place, a nonprofit which inspires people of all faiths to care for the earth through education, connection, and advocacy. For a market schedule, go to faithinplace.org. Do you love trees? Do you have a great story to tell about a special tree in your life? The Morton Arboretum and Open Lands have partnered to launch Tremendous Tree Stories, an online collection of stories highlighting people's connections to trees. Submit stories of the trees you cherish, remember from your childhood, or that hold a special meaning for you. Browse their collection and consider sharing your own tree story by visiting tree-stories.org. That's tree-stories.org. Wild Things is back, and good grammar has not went. 
We're talking about the 2019 Wild Things Conference on February 23rd at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center in Rosemont. There's nothing like it anywhere else in the country as naturalists, citizen scientists, conservationists, birders, and more converge for nine hours of seminars, comedy, workshops, and goodwill. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki is a media sponsor again this year. Go to wildthingscommunity.org. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. I got a newsletter just the other day, and I know you got it too, yeah. Peggy, and it was from uh, Ample Harvest, and uh, we're on the list because they've been on the show uh, several times. Uh, Gary Oppenheimer, who is, uh, he is the head honcho there at uh, Ample Harvest. Uh, he's the founder and executive director. He's also a CNN hero, and he joins us. Guess what? Also on Skype, you're, we're, we're doing back-to-back Skypes this morning, Gary. How are you? Good morning, Mike and Peggy. How are you? Fant- Great. Fantastic. It snowed last night uh, in Chicago. It's not terrible. It's going to be gone in a couple of days. And then uh, the polar vortex is going to come down. But you say it's colder out east than it is here in Chicago today. Uh, yeah, it's colder. I got to tell you something. At least when you guys get snow, you know how to drive. I have friends in D.C. where they're getting snow and they're clueless. <laughs> Uh, are you are you in D.C. right now? No, I'm in northern New Jersey. So okay. here we have cold and we do know how to drive in the snow. The, yes, you do. And it's interesting. We just had uh, um, Meg, uh, who was uh, Green Diva Meg, who's also in New Jersey. So it's the New Jersey portion of the program today. So there we go. Yeah. Uh, By the way, I wanted to comment on one thing she said, because I, people have asked me that weather, climate uh, and the climate change discussion. And I've described it to people as the difference between weather and climate is the difference between dinner and diet. Yeah. One is Mm -hmm. a one-time event and one is long-term. I like that. We'll keep that in mind. Dinner and diet, a good way of uh, describing it. So like I said, I received uh, an email from you uh, the other day, and you pointed out that as this government shutdown goes on, and again, uh, right now the shutdown is continuing. It looks like it's going to continue for a while. We don't know how long. Uh, it's it's really hard to predict. Uh, for those who listen to this show on a tape delay, by the time you hear it, it might be over. However, live right now, it's going on and people are starting to suffer. And we've uh, described some of those ways on the website. If you go to MikeNovak.net, we have a couple of articles that explain uh, the breadth of this shutdown. It's beginning to it's 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 as as you and I talked the other day, Gary, it's spreading uh, and uh, there's collateral damage that is starting to happen more and more. And, and part of that collateral damage is food, isn't it? And food insecurity. Food insecurity is a huge issue as uh, people who are going without a paycheck and often with not a very high salary to begin with are realizing that they're going to have a hard time putting dinner on the table. They're going to be turning to food pantries for help, just like anybody else who falls on economic hard times. Uh, and that collateral damage, by the way, goes beyond federal employees because ultimately the shopkeepers, the other people they do business with will see a reduction in their business and they too get stressed. But when somebody works for uh, Uncle Sam and they're not seeing a paycheck and they nobody knows when they're going to see the next paycheck, they need to put dinner on the table. They may well start going to a food pantry. 
Um, ample Harvest, by the way, it's ampleharvest.org, not Ample Harvest, as you said earlier, but ampleharvest.org works across the country to help millions of home and community gardeners donate their excess bounty to local food pantries. Mike, you're in Chicago. It's cold. I'm in New Jersey. It's cold. Neither of us are gardening up here, mm -hmm. but in the southern reaches of the country, particularly going from, say, Florida over to Texas, it's warm enough to garden. And so we are, we've launched a program to educate more of the growers in that area, particularly Southern Florida and, and Southern uh, Texas, that they can donate food from their garden to a food pantry in their neighborhood so that when people who are their neighbors who work for Uncle Sam end up, unfortunately for a little while going to a food pantry, the food pantry has extra food and more importantly, healthy food to uh, offer to them. I did a quick check before I came on the show and between Florida and Texas alone, just those two states, 1,100 food pantries in those two states are part of ampleharvest.org's network. And you've had, so, you have more than 8,000 pantries who are, far, are part of ampleharvest.org. Uh, 8,400, give or take. <laughs> it's about a quarter of all the food pantries in America are part of ampleharvest.org, and we're working to expand that. Yeah, and I, and I went to your site the uh, other day, and... Uh, uh, one of the things I notice is that the number of pantries continues to grow, which is not a good sign uh, in America. It's gone from 35,000 to around 40,000 in the last few years. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you're trying to reach out to all of them. Why don't you uh, basically uh, explain how Ample Harvest works, whether you're in the northern climes or in the southern climes? Thank you. It's really straightforward. Uh, and I, I myself am a master gardener. There are 42 million people like me in the country who are gardeners. And by the way, coincidentally, at the moment, there are about 42 million people in the country, same number, who are hungry, who are food insecure. The people who are hungry are going to food pantries in their community to help put food on the table. The gardeners forever have been told you couldn't donate food because, you know, the old jars, cans, boxes, no fresh food mantra at all the food drives. Uh, ampleharvest.org, which will be 10 years old uh, this coming May, um, came out as a... Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll take one more bell, please, for that. Thank you. Uh, we came out and said, now we can fix that. And we started telling the gardeners across America that, yes, you can donate food. And to build a search engine of food pantries that wanted that food, and that's where food pantries sign up to be in that listing. And more importantly enable the pantries to tell the gardener the day of the week and time of the day to come so the food can be harvested in the garden in the morning maybe, delivered later that morning, be laid out at a, on a table in the food pantry that afternoon, and be on a hungry family's dinner uh, table that night, making the food that those people get fresher than you and I can buy in a supermarket. Mm -hmm. uh, today, uh, as I said, about a quarter of all the food pantries and growing are part of ampleharvest.org. And I should say, we just wrapped up a survey of the food pantries. We do this uh, every couple of years to see you know, how we're doing. And uh, one of the things we saw that was not surprising, but we're thrilled with, is that 70%, 7-0 of the food pantries reported in 2018 getting food from local gardeners, which is a great measure of the impact that the gardening community can have on reducing hunger and malnutrition, and by the way, climate change here, here. nationwide. And and again, it, it gives lie to the thought that uh, a single 
individual cannot make a difference. Yes, you can make a difference. Imagine if you're growing something in your backyard and you take it to a food pantry and that night, that night, some folks are eating that food and getting nutritious produce out of your garden. How is that not making a difference in the world? It's making a huge difference. And let me put it as in the collective because people think, you know, I'm a gardener. As you said, I'm a gardener. What can I do? Right. Well, there are 42 million of you eyes out there. So we did a study in 2015 and 2016. And what we learned is that collectively, the 42 million gardeners in America grow enough excess food to feed 28 million people. Wow. That makes each of you eyes a big person in your community because you're part of a huge number and this is in all 50 states yeah and this is like 60 to 70 percent of the hungry people in america so it goes a long way towards that so let's let's get back uh briefly to the idea that this is unusual for you you're kind of stepping out of your your usual paradigm which is you're uh addressing a certain area of the country simply because it's warmer they can still be growing things and they can get their food their fresh fruit to a pantry to help somebody who's been laid off who doesn't have a page a regular paycheck coming in right now who might need to go to a food pantry we started with this idea when the BP oil spill occurred. If you remember mm-hmm. way back when, when a whole lot of people employed in the fishing industry in the Gulf Coast were losing their jobs because of pollution on the uh, on the coast. And we switched gears for probably six to eight weeks, fully working on getting the gardeners along the Gulf Coast, donating food to the food pantries down there. Because we realized we could do that and we could empower the people in those communities to do that, do the thing for the community they needed. You know, of course, Red Cross and FEMA comes in, but after that, the people can come in in a big and permanent way. We did the th- same thing following the Joplin and Tuscaloosa uh, tornadoes, and we, most recently we did it uh, for Hurricane Harvey in, the, in Texas. We're doing it again. The, we have a resource that can enable people to be a huge game changer in their own community. Our normal work, you're absolutely right. Our normal work, we work on a 50-state level trying to make sure that all gardeners across all of America know that they can donate food and get them connected to a food pantry that's maybe a 20-minute drive away. But here is what you and I can call a national emergency, not as the president wants to frame it, but the reality is this is a crisis, not natural made, but man-made, and we'll stay out of the politics for a minute, um, that uh, people have caused, and in the case of the gardeners, people can mitigate. And we're in a position to enable those gardeners to mitigate. Fantastic. Um, So, folks, you can... Participate in this. If you're listening to us in southern states, if you're still growing things, you can get that food to a local pantry. And one of the ways you do that is you go to ampleharvest.org, and there's a, a way you can do it. You just put in your zip code. It will send up a map that gives you uh, directions to all of the local pantries. But if, what about folks in the in the colder states? They can still participate. They can still help out local pantries, can't they? Well, they can help local pantries by by donating store-bought food for sure. I mean, you can go to, uh, as you would for any other food drive, you can go to the store, buy food, and uh, uh, donate money. Although I will make the argument that if instead of buying food at a supermarket, you will be much more efficient if you simply give the food pantry the money you would have spent on the food because it will go 10 times further that way. Mm-hmm. So instead of buying a box of cornflakes and donating it, if you spent $3 for the box of cornflakes, Give the food pantry the three bucks. They can buy $30 worth of food. 
One other thing that people in the colder parts of the country can do to help us help the people um, where the gardeners are, anybody wants to make a contribution to ampleharvest.org and mark the contribution as shutdown, we will allocate that money exclusively towards the outreach in the southern areas where the gardeners are still growing to help reach more and more of them. We have 1,100 food pantries in that area that can receive the food. And if you imagine a circle uh, area, about 250 square miles around each one of gardens and gardeners, it's a lot of opportunity mm-hmm. to reduce hunger, help the federal employees who are um, temporarily out of money, and improve nutrition okay. on a national basis. Gary Oppenheimer, go to ampleharvest.org. Thanks so much for being on the show. Good luck. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Hey, this is Peggy, and I'm here to tell you about Natural Awakenings Chicago Magazine, your independent go-to resource for everyday wellness. Natural Awakenings is still the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. For more than eight years, we've been helping you find ideas and resources to lead a healthier, more fulfilling, and sustainable lifestyle. Each month, we take a fresh look at nutrition, wellness, fitness, complementary medicine, personal growth, and green living. Natural Awakenings includes great articles about raising healthy kids, too. And we include lots of ideas for your home, your garden, and taking care of our planet. If you like good food, you'll love our tasty recipes and meal ideas. And check out our monthly calendar. It's full of local events to keep you inspired and connected. Natural Awakenings is available throughout the city, as well as suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Bringing a lot of social science into climate change is really important. People who teach climate change now, you have to really get into how it's affecting people, how it's affecting the ability for people to cope, how it's affecting the ability of people to adapt or to mitigate. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate and how it might be affecting you, your lives, and your garden. On WCGO 1590, Chicago Smart Talk. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. What is this place? You're in uncharted territory. What do you mean? Where are we? I don't know if you've heard this. I don't know what it is. Tell us your name, please. 1590. WCGO Chicago. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. You know, it's a shame when you get a really, really good tune. You just want to just play it forever. Uh, <laughs> uh, but we can't do that because Sony will come and grab us and uh, knock Uh-oh. us off of Facebook. Uh, so we're not going to do that. Uh, we're very pleased. Uh, as this show rolls on here, we've got a lot of guests. And we're going from topic to topic, from the Green Divas to AmpleHarvest.org to the upcoming MLK 
Food Justice and Sustainability Weekend in Chicago, and one of the presenters is here in the studio with us. And what we'll do, we'll get to the uh, more details on the MLK Weekend in the second hour. Robert Neville will be here with us for the 10th year to talk about that, which is just a remarkable thing. But I wanted to bring uh, in a special guest here because uh, I've known this woman for a long, long time. Uh, and this is the first time you've been on the show, right? It is, Mike. Wow. wow. I, I can't. Yeah. What's wrong with me? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows what's wrong. <laughs> uh, Terry Reardon is plant propagator for the Chicago Park District. Uh, that's actually kind of a fancy job, isn't it? It's a great job. I um, propagate the plants for both Garfield and Lincoln Park Conservatory. Fantastic. And if you've never been to the to either, you got to go to both. It's it's interesting. Garfield Park is huge. Uh, Lincoln Park is much smaller, but it's an institution in itself. Yeah, they're very different. So visiting one uh, doesn't pre- preclude visiting another. Uh huh. Right. Right. You're not seeing you're not seeing the same right. thing, except you're seeing some of your same plants. Right. That's true in the show house in particular. So uh, what kind of stuff are you propagating over there? Uh, right now, I'm in uh, the midst of doing spring sewing, and uh, we just finished our holiday shows at both mm-hmm. conservatories, and so we're in the process of changing out the shows. Uh, the theme this year for Lincoln Park Conservatory will be Sunny Side Up, and uh-huh. Garfield Park Conservatory is Understory. Okay. And what is Understory? Understory is a really interesting concept of bringing in um, woodlands and looking at the um, moss and the things that grow in the understory. Ooh. But it has this wonderful twist talking about Jens Jensen's um, original idea for growing under glass. Are you growing moss? We, of course, are growing moss. Oh, my goodness. We've had people call. I, I didn't know I could call. <laughs> I didn't realize I could call you as a moss expert to, about we propagating. Had, yeah, we had the whole thing of moss. Somebody was growing in a metal. They were growing in an Altoid tin. An Altoid tin at home. And I said, well, first of all, you probably want to get it out of the Altoid tin. Yeah, right. It, that's, that's not going to help. It needs some room. It right. needs room and it needs glass and someplace so you can collect the moisture and that yeah. sort of thing, right? It's not as though we're growing lots of it, but believe it or not, the greenhouses grow moss in the corners of the windows. So um, in the what do you, structure... What do you mean? You mean by themselves without, absolutely. Your, without your help? With the moisture. And, um, it's called, we call it bun moss. I'm not quite sure why, but it's beautiful stuff. And I've harvested that. I've climbed up, you know, on the so sides. So what, what are your tricks for growing moss? Well, it's pretty much just keeping it moist quite a bit. That's what I would think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, providing it a little bit of medium, you're not going to put like, regu- you know, too much soil. You don't need that. You could even put just wood chips and then throw the moss on top mm-hmm. of that. Probably hope, has to be kept fairly cool. I hope the guy who was... Definitely cool helps. Yeah. 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 Oh. And um, I have never done it, but I understand, like, there's a um, way that you can get sour milk and use that. So if you have yeah. sour milk, oh, it's yeah. supposed I to be yeah, yogurt. It. Yogurt, right. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're doing a presentation at the KL, KLM weekend. No, MLK. Jeez. It's, K-A-M. It's, 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 K-A-M-I-I. Right. It's, it's, it's K-A-M-I-I, which is... Uh, um, um, Cam Isaiah Israel. K-A-M Isaiah Israel. Martin Luther King. Food, Justice, and Sustainability Weekend. That's it. Whew. Woo. Oh, my yeah. goodness. I can't okay, we're done. All right. Uh, 
And you're doing a presentation called From Backyards to Balconies, Pollinators in Paradise. Yes. Um, and it's about how to get pollinators to come to wherever your garden is. Absolutely. How to do that and why you should want to do that. I gave this talk for the first time last July at uh, Lincoln Park Conservatory. It was an inaugural sort of a lecture series. And um, we had a nice little turnout from the public. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, we wanted people to know that it didn't matter where you lived. If you had any space, if it was on a porch or a balcony, there is something that you can do. Instead of, let's say, putting up a potted annual, get a native plant. Um, mm -hmm. Give the pollinators a leg up on, you know, helping out the, you know, the, their situation. As a lot of people know, they're in real dire straits at the moment. Yeah. Um, we have a, a unfortunate situation where we're seeing declines in lots of the populations. I saw an article last night uh, before, before I went to bed about 1 a.m. <laughs> uh, and it's something just to keep me up a little longer that the California... Monarch oh, yeah. has declined 80%. 80%. 80%. They, yeah, 80 to 88. I even oh, saw. my God. They, they, used to, they used to count a million of them. In 1982, apparently, they counted a million of them. Uh, this past year, it was 30,000. Oh, God, I know. And it was just a rapid, yeah. rapid decline. Yeah. Well, and here's something exciting for people in Chicago. Chicago sits right in the middle of Monarch's migratory and um, areas where they uh, breed. So we the migratory have, route absolutely. Yeah. So we actually can play a huge part. A lot of why uh, you know the reason for the decline in the populations of all natives is loss of habitat, and we can do so much to help provide habitat. But it's important to remember that the reason we are encouraging people to grow native plants is because these um, native um, native um, pollinators are co-adapted. To, they've they've adapted to all of these plants over millennia, and uh, there's right. a mutualistic mm -hmm. relationship that they have with those plants. Well, we know people can grow them in their backyards. What about if you have limited space? What if you are doing container garden or patio uh, gardening or porch gardening? Can can natives adapt to that as well? The natives that you plant in those, you can definitely if. You know, the question is, you know, and with perennials, keeping them year to year. Right. You can bring them into a cold environment, like a garage, to overwinter them. Uh, they, If you leave them outside in the container, you will need to bubble wrap it or do something to protect it. Um, I personally have had the experience where I preferred to leave them outside and just super wrap the container so that the roots are protected mm -hmm. because they get all the snow, the rain. They get, mm -hmm. you know, instead of me trying to remember to go back to the right. garage and water them occasionally. <laughs> I know. That, yeah. that is one of the issues is yeah. that you have to... Uh, you have to you attend have to, to them. Yeah, if you're taking them into an artificial situation, you have to use artificial means to keep them going over the winter. Right. And then you always risk them breaking dormancy if it's too that's warm. That's right. That's right. And um, that's a you know, growing problem with the climate change that okay. we're experiencing. Uh, we've got like a minute and a half here. Uh, you're going to be back... In the second hour. Yeah. Uh, so we'll have more time. But give us a short list of plants that you really like that attract pollinators and, and hummingbirds. I can never get a hummingbird in my backyard. I have. And I know we've had this conversation before. <laughs> so as far as the native plants, um, these aren't necessarily container ones. Although, again, 
agastache is actually mm-hmm. a pretty good one to grow in containers. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the atras. Hyssop is, is a hyssop, common. Anise yeah. hyssop, right? Yeah. And joe pie weed is one of my absolute favorites. I love that. And it can handle a slightly shadier in and In the cool. container? Uh, no, that wouldn't oh, be contained. So this no, is kind of wide. So. Yeah. But you yeah. need room to grow. Oh, calamintha yeah. is a really nice one for a container. That'd be wonderful. Bees love that. Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And coneflower, you know, in a regular garden I setting. got a photo of a coneflower and a bee on it right, right. here, a bumblebee. Variety, varying heights. Um, you know, cr- make sure you assess your site and plant appropriately. All right. We've got more coming up. The MLK... Food sustainability, food justice and sustainability, whatever. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Warp. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. And by Sitka Salmon Shares, bringing responsible and sustainable wild Alaskan seafood direct to your door. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good Welcome food back to, make me to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And uh, in just a second, we'll be talking more about good food to eat. Because uh, that seems to be, that's mm-hmm. partially the theme of the show today. Food justice, food uh, sustainability. Food security. Food security, all of that stuff. Um, and uh, before we get to that, we did have a question on uh, Facebook about when I mentioned it's a bad thing that there are so many pantries in the country. And, the, and I believe that was Audrey who wanted to know, well, why why is that a bad thing? <laughs> well, it's a bad thing because people are hungry. That's the bad thing, and that's all I was saying with that. So if you want to participate, uh, again, you can go to uh, ampleharvest.org and help out. And you should do this any time of year. You know, we're running PSAs right now um, about faith in place with uh, local farmer's markets over the winter. Um, That's a place to get produce. Uh, but as uh, as Gary Oppenheimer said, if you just give money to the pantries, they get food tenfold uh, from a donation, uh, especially since you're not growing yeah. it in your backyard, you might you as well. do much more to help if you donate the cash. Sure, if you can do that. So uh, we know that uh, uh, Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall will be on today. Uh, what's what's happening with them? 
Well, Bill and Turk, ha- uh, Bill and Turk, yes, there we go. Bill and Carrie, um, they have Moody Blues founding member, Rock Hall of Famer, and Paul McCartney and Wings guitarist Denny Lane on today. Oh, my goodness. And Denny is actually in town. I was listening to the Beatles show coming in this morning. Ah. He's going to have a couple of shows, but talking about the iconic classic album that was almost never made. And you have to listen to Bill and Carrie to hear what that is. Which iconic classic? You have to listen to Bill Uh, and Carrie for that. You're not going to give me a hint? No. Okay. And they're going to chat with artist and illustrator Bruce Bondi about the importance of old school drawing in the digital age. Plus, we get to blame Bill for the snow and just about everything else. <laughs> I'm not blaming Bill for the snow because I like snow. Sorry, I like snow. May I say it again? I like snow. But we will be talking to meteorologist Rick DeMaio later in this uh, hour, who's back from the uh, AMS, American Meteorological Society, annual meeting in Phoenix. Of course, they have it in a warm place where mm-hmm. there is no snow. Although it was cold down there. Uh, I, it, was it cold? I think so. Okay. Good, 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 good. <laughs> Serves you right. Uh, and uh, the thing was, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, 700 meteorologists could not attend because they're government employees and they are prohibited from attending, which meant that 300 sessions were canceled. That ain't good for science, folks. Nope. There's nothing good coming out of nope. this shutdown for nobody. And... This past week, the American Astronomy, I was going to say Astrological, but I think it's Astronomy. Astronomical. Astronomical Society Conference, it was the same thing. The uh, NASA scientists, scientists from other government agencies couldn't attend, couldn't speak. Connections weren't made. And and you found a great article on Vox that I I linked to uh, MikeNovak.net in my blog post, and you can go to MikeNovak.net. M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K dot net. Um, and, it, and it did a bunch of charts about who's affected in this shutdown. And it's only going to get worse. It's starting to spread. The effects of this are having ripples. The ripple effect is is going out, and it's affecting more and more people. It's, it's, it's not good. Um, and the other thing I wanted to call to your attention in this short segment is something I posted just the other day which is also terrifying for people in the city of Chicago, and that's that the the Lincoln Yards proposal is scheduled to go before the Chicago Plan Commission in two weeks, on January 24th. Uh, And as we all know, there are major problems with the Lincoln Yards proposal. Too many tall buildings, too much... Stuff too much information that just has not been released. They're saying, "Well, yeah, we're going to build it. We'll we'll let you know the details later." And I still am not hearing any mayoral candidates coming out and no one's taking talking. taking a stand on this. I do not get that. You want to separate yourself from the pack, folks? Mayoral candidates say something about. Lincoln Yards, and it, and it better be the right thing. It better have to do with open space there because uh, we're about to have uh, a tiff uh, laid on the city of Chicago and a a, a a a whole new city plopped down in the North Branch area. It's going to create chaos, and it's being done. So a bunch of – actually, a very small group of people can make a whole lot of money. That's the way those things work, and it's just 
it just makes me sad that this is the city of Chicago. Uh, and, and, you know, we had Ed Burke, who's, who's indicted. Um, surprise, it's nothing's changed in, <laughs> in 100 years or 150 years. This is the way this city operates. So, so uh, I hope folks get involved with that. And we'll be doing more stories about the uh, uh, North Branch Park and Nature Preserve and hoping that it still happens there. You want to tell folks who's going to be on next week? Oh, my goodness. Almost forgot. We're going to have Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago Commissioner Deborah Shore is on the program next week. We're very, very excited about that. we got lots of issues to talk about. MWRD is involved in a lot of things, including uh, the purity of our water. So we hope you tune in then. Next, it's MLK Weekend. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This is Peggy Malecki. The end of summer doesn't mean the end of growing season. That's when I bring tropicals, scented geraniums, and herbs onto my porch, plug in my Happy Leaf LED grow lights, and watch them thrive all winter long. 50,000-plus hour minimum lifespan, five-year warranty, USA made. Go to happyleafled.com and save 10% on purchases above $100 when you use the code MIKE. Happy Leaf LED grow lights, summer light in the middle of winter. From boat to doorstep, you can have the best in premium and sustainable Alaskan seafood right here in the Midwest. Sitka Salmon Shares is an Alaskan community-supported fishery, or CSF, comprised of small boat family fishermen from southeast Alaska. They're supported by 4,000 CSF members, and you can be one, too. Sign up at SitkaSalmonShares.com to receive fresh Alaska salmon, whitefish, and more in shares ranging from three to nine months. Use promo code MikeNovak18 for $25 off. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. This is Mike Novak. The song says it's the most wonderful time of the year, unless you're homeless. And I'm Bill Turk. It's hard to know what to do, but you can design a care kit for people in need, something that will do some good in the short run. And I'm Peggy Malecki. The number one item people need is good socks, high quality wool or thermal. Hats, gloves and scarves are also important, along with hygiene products like deodorant, body wash, toothbrushes and toothpaste, band-aids, lip balm, wet wipes, even nail clippers. Food products can include high-protein snacks, easy-to-open tuna, crackers and peanut butter, applesauce, granola bar, or fruit rolls. And I put everything in a one-gallon Ziploc bag. And if you can, make a connection, offer a smile, or even your first name. And don't forget to include some feminine products, too. You're not changing the world. Just making one person's world a little better for a little while. That sound you hear is my time machine letting me know it's time to return to our own world. This is your talk, WCGO. Hang on. And this music is... Pretty much apropos of nothing, uh, except that I was uh, well. We I played Ray Charles last weekend, and uh, and then I was on the U and Tube, and uh, found this, and I went, oh yeah, I've forgotten about this. Now I don't know. I grew up in Detroit, and when they played this music, they would go Sunday, 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 uh, at Motor City Dragway. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Nitro burning funny cars. It's a little seems a little loud here uh, 
Uh, oh, it's fine in my headset. Really? I'm, I'm getting a real weird echo mm. here. Okay. I get a really odd thing. Anyway, welcome back to the mic. Oh, yeah. Now there's an echo. Yeah, there's something odd here going on, Randall. I'm not sure what it is. So uh, welcome back to the show. Still getting it. Uh, see what you can do to... I like that. I don't. got a reverb going. <laughs> it's, I sound like I'm in Mammoth Cave, and I was there <laughs> earlier this year or last year. There's something odd going on here. Okay, we'll just... Uh, We'll just see what happens. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. In the studio, we, uh, <laughs> you're going to enjoy this. Uh, uh, we have Robert Neville, who is, I don't know if this is actually the 10th time you've, you've been. Is it 10? Oh, my goodness. 10th time. Okay. Whoa. My, my understanding, Mike, <clears throat> Mike, my understanding guess... is that proper etiquette on a 10th anniversary, the, uh, the recognition is with cotton. Have you got a cotton uh, thing here? Got I do. Cotton. For you, Mike. Oh, wow. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> He's thrown it on the microphone. What do we got? Oh, look at this. Ooh, cool. Oh, my God. There's, wow. a, bit, there's a bit of a story behind the two carrots. Ten years ago, we had a meeting at the beginning of our uh, program, and a woman said to us, what are you going to do, girl, a couple of carrots? Uh Really? Right. That, so 30, that was a little rude, wasn't it? I thought it was inappropriate. <laughs> and so 10 years forward, it's 32,000 pounds of, not entirely carrots, but 32,000 pounds of food. Oh, my gosh. And this, uh, for those of you who are not watching us on <clears throat> Facebook Live, uh, Robert Neville just brought in a shirt for me. It's a t- long sleeve T-shirt, which I like because I don't have very many of these. It's green. Okay, let's get this uh, sucker here. And... Uh, we're getting a photo. Photo op. One more. Uh, okay, I can't read it while you're doing the photo op. All right, there we go. You, you were talking while I, I was. <laughs> it says on it, K-A-M-I-I Farmer, and that stands for K-A-M Isaiah Israel, and you guys have your own farm there uh, at the congregation on the south side of Chicago in Hyde Park, uh, and for 10 years, you have been growing your food and sharing it with the world, and you've been the even better, even better. You're, you're kind of like this parka, which is Peterson Garden Project. Their mission is very similar, which is teach people how to grow their own food. Um, and uh, you started the MLK Food Justice and Sustainability Weekend 10 years ago. I remember you were on my show back when I was at Progresso Radio, um, and we we talked about this and followed that. And even even when I was podcasting off of my dining room table, <laughs> I was calling Robert and saying, "Okay, we got We got to talk about it this this week uh, because uh, each year the uh, the event comes up and it just seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and it's all free. And you can go to my website, uh, mikenovak.net. Uh, find out information because on Saturday, we'll talk about this in a second, Saturday what you do is you get folks together and you do a design, a community design. You take a real space from Chicago and you decide what it should look like, what, you know, in the best of all possible worlds, how you could approach this space. Uh, and then on Sunday, there's a bunch of seminars like uh, Terry Reardon's, uh, who's also back with us uh, here in the studio. So Robert Neville, uh, with that long introduction, welcome, and Thanks, I'm Mike. glad you're here for the 10th anniversary. And you have a bit of laryngitis, don't you? Just a bit, but I, I've been saving up for this, uh, our 10th anniversary. It is, your audience should understand that you have had uh, a tremendous impact on the success of our program, uh, without which nothing, in my opinion. So as I 
want to do every year. Thank you, Mike and now Peggy, for supporting the work and helping get the word out. Um, In 2009, we started rethinking the urban land use model and how to be better stewards of the land. And most people think our program started um, as a way to feed those in need, as if that were the sum total of food justice. But it was the putting together of sustainable land use and food access that makes it a pioneering program. And for the last five years, we've been directly linking this work to climate change and civil rights, native food, water, city parks, and now where we live. Climate change, which is what we think of as one of the central social justice issues of our time. And that becomes more and more apparent every day when you read the newspaper. And it is demanding, in the words of Martin Luther King, the the fierce urgency of now. The fierce urgency of now. It cannot wait. We do not follow the notion that I think was popular with one of our, our first president, George Washington, which is whatever is, is right. Voltaire in Candide skewers this idea. We believe rather that, what, that we can make a difference and it is our duty to do so. And as per Rabbi Tarfan in The Ethics of Our Fathers, and I think this is really key to the work that we do, it is not incumbent upon you to complete the work, but neither are you at liberty to desist from it. Mm. And now we celebrate 10 years of working together, building coalitions, I think, in the spirit of Dr. King, coalitions between the sacred and the secular, between younger and older, between public and private, this year with the Chicago Housing Authority, business and not-for-profit, and to paraphrase Dr. King, all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, joining hands. The weekend along with our farm school, our farm and food forest school, is where we educate and advocate for a healthier and more equitable and sustainable world. And the rest of the year, we take our cue from Candide, again from Voltaire. That's true enough, said Candide, but we must go and work in the garden. Mm-hmm. That's the end of our show, folks. We need to go now. <laughs> I can't I can't deal with profound stuff. It wow. uh very nice. Nicely said, uh, Robert. We appreciate that. And and it's just such a pleasure for us to uh, to be part of this in our own small way because I you know, I don't I don't put the uh the thing on. You're the one that does that and I don't do the farming down there. You guys do the farming down there and uh, but to have that resource in the city of Chicago is is really important, um, and uh, it's like many others. And I mentioned Peterson Garden Project, but there's a lot of community gardens. There's a lot of uh, there's places like Growing Home uh, that are doing fantastic work. Uh, unfortunately, we they need to be doing fantastic work because, as you said, the need is there, and it's there right now. It's urgent. It's it's right now. And I think connecting this work, this food work with the changing climate. It's difficult sometimes for people to understand the connection between sustainability and food justice, I think, is key. Mm -hmm. The example that I often give to make that connection more understandable is that of the 32,000 pounds of food we have grown and delivered, that food has traveled approximately total 60 miles in the last 10 years. It's delivered within a mile and a mile and a half of where it's growing. Mm -hmm. 32,000 pounds of food is about 30,000 pounds of water. Imagine shipping that food from California, where water can be scarce, all the way across the country to Chicago. 
the energy it takes to ship 30,000 pounds of water from California to Chicago should make it apparent the connection between sustainability, which is directly related to climate, mm-hmm. and to food justice and access. And I'm glad to see you going in that direction. Uh, anybody anybody who's in this biz, uh, <laughs> and I meant say the business of sustainability, uh, gets the connection immediately. Or if you don't get it immediately, as you work, you begin to see mm-hmm. the connection. I'll, I'll be honest, I started out as 20, 21 years ago uh, as a guy doing a gardening show and didn't understand all those connections. Uh, but it, it whacks you in the head like a ball-peen hammer eventually if you're paying attention at all. And you begin to realize that your little, whatever you do in your yard, whatever you do in your little parcel of land really has profound effects all around you and you as a person have profound effects to the uh, to the people around you and it, it makes you understand the connection to the ecosystem of all pieces and parts yeah. you cannot separate out one part or one piece and that you can be in the city and have as big of an effect as somebody who's out in a rural uh, area. also a really good point yeah is that you don't have to be on a farm to, to, to make a difference. Uh, we were talking earlier with uh, Terry Reardon uh, about your porch, your, your patio, right. wherever you're, you're doing something, uh, you can have an effect. If you're attracting pollinators, you're doing a good thing. Right. And I think this is <clears throat> one of the things, Mike, that you and I and, 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 and of late of Peggy have talked about is in our program, it's the taking not of the porch or the backyard, but the marginal spaces uh, used to be just at Houses of Worship, now it's at an elementary school at 50th and and Drexel, taking the marginal spaces, the leftover spaces, and transforming those into food production, pollinator walls, uh, constructed wetlands, food forests, mm-hmm. the marginal spaces. We've now transformed almost an acre of marginal space in the south side. I but, I, but, but when you say marginal space, sometimes you're talking about lawn, and that's not a marginal space. That's prime real estate. Right. And if... I know this is a Sunday morning. It's it's almost ten thirty. There are people who are listening to the show coming home from church. Okay, I got a message for you. You go back to your congregation. You say, "Why do we have a thousand square feet of lawn here when we could have a thousand square feet of vegetable production?" Right. Oh, well, let's change that this year. Twenty nineteen is the year we start growing stuff because, uh, as I pointed out, and you and you are aware of, and other people are aware of, uh, the unused, untapped resources. In America, are are faith based properties and and communities because they have the the people there to help. They have the space. They often have unused kitchens Correct. in the basement. When you look at a lot of these old churches, and this is a place where you can get this work done. I have heard variously over the years that ninety percent of food relief in this country takes place at or at houses of worship or associated organizations. Um, most of the pantries. Well, we should it, it should be made clear to your audience the difference between a pantry, and I'm sure most of them know, between a pantry and a soup kitchen. But we typically work with soup kitchens, and soup kitchens are typically associated with houses of worship. Uh, that's mm-hmm. been... Well, well, please explain the difference for those people who don't understand it. So pantry is, is typically um, uh, set up something like a grocery store. And patrons will come and either shop with the foods available in the pantry or are handed a pre-prepared bag full of food. 
Pantries are not typically set up to handle significant quantities of fresh food. They frequently don't have the proper refrigeration. They're not open day after day of the week. They're, they're typically open once or twice a week. Pantries are, uh, are, are um, a difficult place to handle fresh food. When you have uh, hot meal programs or soup kitchens, prepare food for those who've, who visit the hot meal program or the soup kitchen. So if you take the food to the hot meal program, not 100%, but closer to 100% of that food will be prepared and served to those in need. In a pantry, it's much, it's much less than that. Well, that's interesting, and I don't want to get into an argument here, but uh, we had Gary Oppenheimer right. on earlier. Did sure. you disagree with what he had to say? I did not. I've known Gary for years, and I think the work that he does, does is terrific. It's just that pantries are not typically set up to handle significant quantities of, of fresh food. They can handle apples, bananas, heads of lettuce very well, butternut squash, that sort of thing. But collards, kale, okra, uh, even tomatoes can be difficult for pantries to handle. Mm-hmm. They can do it, but it is not so easy. And imagine um, there is also the distribution issue of taking home bags of of produce along with canned goods in this in the same bag, so it is it is not is it, they play an important role, but I th- but we have chosen to work more with hot meal programs and soup kitchens because we think closer to hundred percent of the food is consumed. And and the other thing again, you know, thirty two thousand pounds of food is wonderful, but again, what's even more wonderful is when you go to a church when you go to another. Uh, faith-based organization, you say, we're going to teach you how to grow this. We're going to, we're going to show you the way, and you're going to uh, do this yourself. And that's how the, design, the Saturday Design Workshop was set up, why it was set up and how it's set up. And we can talk about that mm-hmm. uh, in the next segment. After the want. break, but yeah. That's, yeah. that's the purpose behind it exactly. Okay. Uh, that is Robert Neville from KAM Isaiah Israel on Chicago's South Side, the Martin Luther King weekend, the Food Justice and Sustainability Weekend happens next weekend, which is the 19th and the 20th of January. It's all free. Uh, go to KAM, what is it? What's the, org- the your, your website? KAMII.org slash MLK. Right. And, and of course, you can also go to my website, MikeNovak.net. Okay. Well, we'll get back to this in just a second, but I have some tree advice from Bartlett Tree Experts. Did you know that winter is prime time to have your trees pruned? One of the reasons is that without leaves, the structure of the tree is easier to evaluate. On mature trees, pruning is required to remove dead and dying branches to maintain plant health and safety. This pruning type is referred to as cleaning, but something you might not know is that research has now documented that thinning, the removal of live branches to reduce density, can significantly reduce wind resistance, which results in less storm damage. However, thinning should only be done on trees where the crown is too dense. That's where Bartlett tree experts come in. Uh, Bartlett arborist has training and experience to evaluate whether your tree is a candidate for pruning. Whether it's at your home or your business, give Bartlett a call for a free tree care estimate because every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking uh, food justice and sustainability. You're always welcome to give us a call, 877-711-5611. We will be right back. 
Did you know air pollution from road transportation costs about $1 trillion a year in healthcare? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Yes, now is the time to consider buying an electric vehicle, also known as an EV. It's a great way to start to break our addiction to fossil fuels. Even with gas prices below $2.50 per gallon, you can save from $400 to $1,000 a year on fuel costs. The price of EVs has come down considerably, and there are generous federal and state tax incentives. Who doesn't want to reduce health risks and greenhouse gases, save money, and drive a space-age cool car? I'm Green Diva Meg. Please visit thegreendivas.com to find useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and, of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. Whether it's March, July, September, or December, if you're a gardener, any time of year is perfect for a subscription to Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. It's the garden magazine for our region and one of the best gardening magazines in the country. Every issue features spectacular photos, articles by noted horticultural authorities, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and more. There are columns like Ask the Garden Pros, Regional Reports, What to Do in the Garden, and even my column on the inside back page of every issue. I make up stuff and they pay me for it. Go figure. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. On newsstands everywhere. But go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. 888-265-3600. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We are very pleased to have Robert Neville in the studio uh, along with Terry Reardon. Robert is uh, the major force, the driving force behind the uh, Food Justice and Sustainability Committee or program at KAM Isaiah Israel on Chicago's South Side. And as we mentioned before, the MLK Food Justice and Sustainability Weekend is next week, January 19th and 20th. Uh, now, Saturday, let's let's go through. Oh, and by the way, Terry Reardon is also here. We're going to get back to her in just a second because she's doing one of the workshops on Sunday. Saturday, however, is the Community Design Workshop. Uh, tell us what that's all about, Robert. Well, this year I'm pleased to uh, share with you that we are partnering with the Chicago Housing Authority. Uh, an organization with whom we've been working for the last three or four years, delivering food to senior living facilities mm-hmm. in the South Side. And as you know, every year we pick a site in the city. Um, it is uh, where we examine the, the way the land is used, the, the, the site land is used, and in this case, the building on the site as well. And the purpose behind that is for and the audience, which is generally around 100 people, uh, to see how people who do this for a living, farm managers, sustainability experts, and activists, see how they think and talk and des- about and then design uh, an urban growing space. We have <clears throat> uh, examined the roof of a big box store. Uh, last year it was Kilbourne Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, before that, Midway Plaisance. And so we take a look at a, at a space in Chicago and in front of an audience, uh, we we redesign the site 
Uh, and this year, it's a senior living facility at 50th and Cottage. <clears throat> and the idea is that, uh, once again, it's a building sitting in a sea of lawn. And is there a better way, is there a better use of that land? Could it be better for it to be constructed wetland, uh, uh, a, a, a series of pollinator walls, row crops, a food forest? And what's the relationship between that land the building that sits in the middle of that land, which is this senior living facility. And, and what's good about that, this year you actually have somebody from CHA uh, who's going to be part of this conversation. We do. We have Ellen Sargent, who's the Director of Sustainable Initiatives and Projects. Uh, the CHA has been, over the last several years, a wonderful partner in this work. And again, it pleases me to no end that we are able to make these connections uh, and collaborations with uh, public agencies as well as secular organizations and that we can uh, make those connections all for the purpose of working on Let this. me ask you a question. Has and Have any of these designs actually been implemented? Uh, yes. The, the year that we did the uh, use the site at uh, Remake the World, RTW, which is across from Washington Park, one of the sites that you remember we, was being considered for the uh, Obama Library. Right, right. They did, in fact, construct uh, a, an urban farm on that site. That, mm. had, that, that facility has since closed down for various reasons unrelated to the farm itself. Okay. But, yes, they did. The purpose is not necessarily to... Uh, for the design to be implemented. No, I know that, but I... I but it is nice if it is, but the idea is to review over the course of two hours a significant number of the issues involved in setting up an urban growing space so that people in the audience can then go and do that as they can. And that has happened actually in the past as well. We get uh, notices from people who attended who have then taken that knowledge and, and installed a farm of their own. Yeah. Okay, and in this case, you have Brianne Heath from the Pie Patch, who's been on this show, Anna Maria Leon. A lot of the folks have already been on our program. Marta Keen. Marta Keen. Marta Keen from uh, uh, Will County, the solid waste, uh, recycling and solid waste coordinator. I'm glad that uh, she's gotten on board with that. Um, Rebecca McDonald, KAM Isaiah Israel Farm Manager. Aaron Levine, uh, KAM Isaiah Israel Farm and Food Forest School Director. Right. And, of course, you'll be there and a bunch of people in the room, and they all shout out their ideas, and then you write it down on a big piece of paper uh, that's right, so, you know. A huge board so, so, at the yeah. front of the room. Eight, 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 right. They, they'll, they'll draw it out, uh, the site, on an 8-foot by 12-foot sheet of paper, uh, which is an enormous drawing. Which, And I actually have a photo of this. Uh, if you go to MikeNovak.net for the blog I posted uh, for today's show, right. you'll mm -hmm. see it from last year. Yeah. It's Kil Kilbourne Park, and you'll see Rene Costanzo and Anna Maria yeah. Leone. Drawing on the site. It's really fantastic, the energy in the room. Uh, it's somewhat be somewhere between a design session and a performance piece. Yeah, it then, is. Yeah, and then there's a nice dinner afterward, and everyone has a chance to share ideas, which is a lot of fun. And too. all free and open to everyone. And I'll say, last year was the first time I attended the event, mm -hmm. and the amount of community spirit that was there was amazing. I mean, yeah, really, uh, everybody comes together. People are pretty much on the same page when they when they come to that. They know what they want to accomplish, and even though people have different ideas about how to do it, uh, it all kind of comes together. And that's I wish more city designs were done this way. 
Yeah, it's, we all do, don't we? I mean, you were mentioning during the break uh, about how naive I am about the city of Chicago and uh, try. Although uh, Chicago ain't ready for reform. That's right, Chicago ain't ready for reform. But Peggy, a news breaking news story. Breaking news that came in from Crane Chicago Business. The headline being: New plan for Lincoln Yards replaces stadium with park. The move in response to community feedback is meant to help fast-track approval for the Northside Mega Project. Well, that's been the whole deal. No park, no deal, is what people have been saying. And 24 acres of contiguous land needs to to be there, I think, as a minimum, for yeah. for, for, for folks not to do, put, lie down this, in front of this, the bulldozers. Do this the, article says the Sterling Bay website says, quote, the southern portion of Lincoln Yards will now include nearly three additional acres of vibrant park space Almost doubling the park space in this area from 3.6 to 6.2 acres. It's still not 24 contiguous, though. Right. And so, I, and I would also ask, the park for the uninitiated sounds so wonderful and green and environmentally sensitive, but is it a park right. just of grass? How much food could right. be grown on three acres? Exactly. Could 46,000 square feet at 60% efficiency you're talking about, and this is yeah, and this is the kind of thing they do. Also, is is, is smoke and mirrors, and they go, "Hey, it's uh, three more acres." Look, the 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 request has been twenty four contiguous acres. Do you not understand the meaning of the word contiguous? And they keep throwing, "Hey, here's another three acres here. Hey, here's a half an acre here. Here, here's a rooftop. You can put green on the mm-hmm. rooftop." And they keep doing this as if. The, the community is going to buy into it because they've made enough compromises. You're not making the right compromises, folks. That's all I got to say. At least now I'll have to study this. I yeah, haven't seen the it's article. A start. It's a start. It just came out. All right. Let's go to the second day because that's where uh, um, um, Terry is going to be uh, giving her talk. And you have a bunch of seminars th- with the focus this time of climate change, which is great. And, and uh, we were talking about pollinators. How, before we get into a list of some of the the talks there, Terry, how would you relate what you do with pollinators to climate change? Uh, there's a huge um, connection between that. The loss of habitat, which is what's, you know, creating a situation where we're losing so many of our pollinators, is also responsible for the carbon in the atmosphere. So um, the opportunity to create carbon sinks by repurposing the land and not tilling and not, you know, digging it up, coming up with new ways. Permaculture design is one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Has a huge, could have a huge impact on turning around climate change and keeping the gases, you know. um, And there's a balance here because your your focus is basically native plants. Robert's focus is vegetable. I mean, I know you have, you know, and I, and I know you, you do it smart. You, you have permaculture techniques that you use at your garden, but they're not totally separate on separate ends well, of the spectrum. here. To tie that together, um, if anybody wanted to know, well, why should I take, you know, my little porch or play my part into growing a plant for a pollinator? Our entire future depends on their health we are so connected and interrelated. They are responsible for our food. Three quarters of the staple crops that we eat are pollinated by animal pollinators. And we do know that we're losing insect biomass hand over fist. If you're not alarmed by this, you should be. You should be. When they do studies in Germany and they say that 70% or 75% of the insect mass has just suddenly disappeared over the last it's not suddenly it's over the last 
30 or 40 years, you should be alarmed by this. Well, two quick facts, too. Last, uh, sorry, in 2016, seven bees were added. These are native bees mm-hmm. to the endangered species list. It was the first time that it ever happened. And two out of five invertebrate pollinators are at risk of, instinct- of extinction. Wow. So it's pretty frightening. Two out of every five. Yeah. I, it, yeah. it, 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 I think it's rather remarkable that this notion of uh, conservative has been co-opted by folks who probably would not think much of what you just said, but to truly be a conservative is to conserve that which what that which we have, mm-hmm. what the planet has. That is truly to be a conservative. So, looking at the workshops on Sunday, if, and again, it's all free. That's the great thing about this. It's all free. Uh, You've got things like global warming and faith communities. Can we make a difference? We were just talking about that here on the show. Um, We have, um, I like this, a smarter bowl of lentils. (laughs) When and why vegan cooking reduces climate impact. Uh, We've got uh, talks about safer Chicago soils. We've got microgreen production for the winter season gap, growing nutritious greens and flats in your home all year. That's cool. Um, how you can make a difference in, in climate change advocacy. Jen Walling from the Illinois Environmental Council will be talking. Um, how to dig into the local food cycle year-round. I like this one, too. Shifting season, the results of climate change and the moving targets for planting and harvesting. And I'll bet in 10 years you've seen that, Robert. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you'll, there is a workshop. That's I don't think is on your list, but you will actually be able to bring a soil sample. I was just going to mention that and have it tested for lead there. Who's doing the the testing? Of that? Um, uh, Mitchell, Jan- oh, sorry, Marshall, James Montgomery is bringing Montgomery. the folks yeah. in. Oh, great! But yeah. uh, uh, you'll ha- you'll have to bring a soil sample. You have to go to our website, and we'll send you information about how to take a soil sample to bring with you. But it's a fantastic list of people whose generosity really bowls me over. You need to come to the KAM Isaiah Israel Martin Luther King Food Justice and Sustainability Weekend next Saturday and Sunday on the south side of Chicago. Uh, What's the address again, uh, Robert? 1100 East Hyde Park Boulevard, Hyde Park Boulevard in Greenwood, or as you often will point out, right across the street from President Barack Obama's home. Are the Secret Service still there? Uh, Not to the degree that they used to be. (laughs) Okay. Thank you both, Terry and Robert, for coming in. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Rick DeMaio Weather coming up next. We all love our pets, but do you ever stop to think that farmed animals are deserving of love and care, too? The Mike Novak Show is teaming with Crate Free Illinois to present a screening of the award-winning film Eating Animals on February 12th at Dovetail Brewery in Chicago. A panel of farmers and activists, moderated by Bill Turk of Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall, will explain how you can make simple, humane choices in your everyday life. For tickets and information, go to the Crate Free Illinois Facebook page. Wild Things is back. I'm talking about the 2019 Wild Things Conference on February 23rd at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center in Rosemont. There's nothing like it anywhere else in the country, as naturalists, citizen scientists, conservationists, birders, and more converge for more than 100 seminars, as well as comedy, workshops, and goodwill, and perhaps a libation afterwards. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki is a media sponsor again this year. Get your tickets at wildthingscommunity.org. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? 
Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Ego Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne Keratin Smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Hi, this is Ron Calgan from Mighty House. We're on every Saturday from 7 to 10 a.m. right here live on 1590 WCGO. Yeah, it's kind of predictable that I play something like this, but sometimes you just feel like it, you got to beat people over the head. See, this is the difference between me and Green Diva Meg, who's trying to do it gently, and I know Robert's trying to do it gently, and I know Terry's trying to do it gently, but not me. Uh, <laughs> oh, you are too, Peggy. You're, it varies. Yeah, it, yeah, it depends on the day. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, uh, Robert Neville, and uh, Terry Reardon still in the studio, but we're going to the phone to bring in meteorologist Rick DeMaio, because, Rick, I know you have a lot of things to talk about today, so we should get right to it. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm actually uh, cleaning the snow off my car while I talk to you guys. <laughs> uh, you Live could, action. You uh, Put down the brush. Put the brush down and talk to <laughs> us. What, what, what do they say? As long as you don't poke yourself in the eye, right? <laughs> uh, you know, and, and if you accidentally slip and fall, I'm not going to have any sympathy at all, all right? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, but hey, we, we may actually uh, we we may actually um, start to see you know some of those signs that says beware of falling ice on some of the buildings in downtown Chicago again. We haven't mm-hmm. seen those in over a month, right? Uh, exactly. And uh, Peggy told me something that you sent because I didn't get a chance to see it, and it stunned me. I just could not believe it. You said this morning that we are. Above what? What was the level of snow? Uh, what what you sent us, Rick? That uh, O'Hare is at sixteen oh. and a half inches of snow. Yeah, yeah. I think for the season we're up to sixteen point five, only because we had you know twelve point five in the month of November. Yeah. But I mean, this is this is the first significant snowfall if you really think about it since right around the Sunday after Thanksgiving. We right. had nothing literally in the month of December, and for the first what? 13 days or 12 days of the month of January. Um, well, if you really want to think about it, the first 10 days of the month of January, yeah, 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 yeah. we're get... running 10 degrees above normal. So, And, and we still only got 2.2 inches or 2.6 inches at O'Hare, and that's the most since the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Again, these really weird winters with these long stretches of no snow and mild weather but um should not should not surprise us anymore right yeah no 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 but i thought the point was are we we're above average or something like that for the for the season well yeah that's only because we've had we had a lot of snow in the month of november yeah but nobody so i think this just 
the, the point is nobody's going to think that we're above average for for this season. Oh, okay, yeah. But but we <laughs> but, but we <laughs> are. What? <laughs> Yeah, except whether we need like me to keep track of the stuff. Exactly. But, uh, so that's the point yeah. I'm making is that I can't believe we're above no. average for the season. No, and, that just and, seems and, nuts. Yeah. And how about how about how about this? St. Louis, Missouri has had twice as much snow than Madison, Wisconsin. How about them apples? Oh my goodness. Okay. Now wow. see. Now yeah. that's interesting. All <laughs> I right. Know. I I think that's why I've I've kind of given up on trying to forecast snow for a season you just kind of look at it you know four to six weeks out and you know see how things come and then you kind of roll with it but um it wasn't until about probably three weeks ago when you can really begin to see this strong el nino jet across the southern united states kind of get linked up uh into the polar jet remember last time i was there with you guys because i wasn't there last week right i said in an El Nino situation, you have long periods of no snow marked by short periods of heavy wet snow. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did say that. Yeah, oh. and, that's a, and that's exactly what we got. I mean, if you looked at the moisture plume uh, that literally came out of areas south of Acapulco and Mazatlan in Mexico, that moisture literally blew right up um, into the central United States grabbed on to a very weak area of low pressure. And I emphasize, it was rather weak. Um, But we had nearly an inch and a half of water with this thing. And whenever you get, you know, snowfall of, you know, 18 to 24 hours and an inch and a half of water, (laughs) some areas are going to get 15 to 20 inches of snow. And that's exactly what happened. Areas west of St. Louis, Missouri, 18 to 20 inches of snow. Central Illinois, anywhere between 8 and once is 12 inches of snow. And that northern edge just barely got into the Chicagoland area. And you walk outside and you go, you know what? It's actually pretty nice out for the middle of January. It's 31 degrees. The sun is out. There's snow on the ground. And you're like, okay, this is January. Um, and much, much of the snow is probably going to stay around for the balance of the week, only because we're not going to see any warm weather. But we're not going to see any really cold weather either. Uh, now, is that going to change next week? Because I'm hearing rumblings about polar vortex. Yeah, yeah, I think this is something that we've been looking at for the last almost month is the splitting of the polar vortex. Um, and part of it is going to begin to move southward into Hudson Bay. The other part kind of not nudging itself over into uh, northern areas of Europe and over into Russia. But the part that we're most concerned about, the stuff that's going to hang around, uh, around Hudson Bay, um, is probably going to give us some very, very cold weather beginning probably Saturday and Sunday of next week and probably lasting for about three weeks. Okay. You know, and, and it's something that occurred to me, and it was on the way in today, I was thinking about weather and climate, and you, you're loath, as you said, to predict snow and snow totals, but it's a lot easier to predict that a lobe of the polar vortex is going to come down. That, that part's easy, but then saying locally, you know, how much snow are you going to get, that's the hard part, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and I think you got to be careful about using the word easy when you're forecasting long range because easy for <laughs> meteorologists like me is three to four weeks out. Hard for meteorologists like my friend uh, John Davis who forecasts three to four months out, uh, he's trying to help people who are using weather as a derivative and as a commodity. So for them, they're still trying to figure out how things are going to be occurring um, you know, two and a half to three months down the road. 
and that's some of the most exciting stuff that I think is um, beginning to get kind of figured out. And some of the talks that I went to when I was down in the Phoenix uh, AMS meeting last week was how to try to predict stratospheric warming, which induces the dislodging of the polar vortex. And one thing we've also noticed is that I, I attended several um, uh, topics of conversation about how the tropics are actually widening. And this is one of the things that I like to talk about with my students. It's not so much that the overall warmth of the tropics is getting higher, but the tropics are actually widening, which means you can get some of these tropical influences a little bit further north. You generally tend to see hurricanes move a little bit <coughs> further north, and you also generally tend to extend the hurricane season a little bit later in the year. So it's this kind of combination, this kind of push-me-pull-me stuff between the Arctic and the widening of the subtropics that I think has been producing some of the very, very interesting and wild and highly variable winter weather. I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, and we only have two minutes here, so uh, we'll yeah, that's fine. Make, make it quick. It's, uh, but the, you went to the AMS meeting, and 700 meteorologists could not attend because of the shutdown. And right. 300 ses- yeah. sessions were canceled because of the shutdown. How did that affect people? What were they talking about there? Well, first off, the head of NASA wasn't there. And when I went up to the people at NASA, I said, how come your guy couldn't even come here on his own dime? They go, well, he's got to come, he's got to come on official business. So I think the overall sense of the meeting was, come on, guys, get it together. Let's not have the government shut down because of this stupid wall that wants to be built at taxpayers' expense. And let's get the people here who are actually trying to help the country out. And let's not forget, people even in our local National Weather Service office here are impacted by it day and day, you know, over the course of, what is it now, 21 days, where if someone couldn't go to a conference, you look at it and go, okay, that's not a big deal. Yeah. I think the more important stuff is the fact that people here locally are being impacted, but yet, nonetheless, as you mentioned, Mike, uh, a lot of people weren't able to attend. A lot of people who put a lot of work into talks couldn't get to do their stuff. Okay, we, from we, that standpoint, there was a lot. We got to move on, Rick. All right, today. I'm going to say goodbye to you. We we know it's going to get cold. We might have snow uh, next weekend, right? Significant snow next Saturday. We'll talk to you on Sunday. It's going to look a lot different around here. Though. All right, thanks to everybody who's on the show. Until next time, go green or go home. Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.